You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of life. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast where we believe there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, our colleagues, and our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is basketball coach Mike Dunlap. Mike is a renowned basketball coach who has led teams in US college, the NBA, and in Australia. He started as a college assistant coach in 1980, before becoming the head coach of Cal Lutheran in 1989. In 1994, he moved to Australia and led the Adelaide 36ers in the National League, before returning to the USA in 1997 to lead Metro State. That team went on to win the national championships in 2000 and then again in 2002. In 2006, he went to the NBA for the first time as an assistant coach at Denver, before returning to the University of Arizona as a head coach. In 2011, he was chosen by Michael Jordan to lead the Charlotte Bobcats in the NBA. Then in 2020, Mike returned back to the NBA as an assistant coach with the Milwaukee Bucks and was with them when they defeated the Phoenix Suns to win their first NBA championship in 2021. In this terrific interview, some of the key highlights were 
the importance of a leader balancing inclusivity with also moving to a position of clarity where they can see broadly and make decisions for the benefit of the group. His belief that the word perfection is dangerous because it's so volatile and that the quest for perfect practice just makes people miserable. How vulnerability is endearing to the people you lead. And the wonderful quote he shares that a master teacher knows the outcome before he or she starts. The good teacher kind of knows the outcome. If you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to learn more, you can head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com, where we offer exclusive video and podcast content for subscribers that's taken from more than 150 interviews that we have done with some of the world's great coaches. The content is downloadable, shareable, and designed to start a conversation around the dinner table, locker room, or boardroom table. We also have a newsletter that features information on our latest podcasts, leadership insights from our guests, recommendations they have on books or other media, as well as information on how you can engage with other people who listen on Zoom sessions to discuss topics like culture, behavior, or starting new teams. You can sign up for that, as well as access all our other content we have at that website again, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And now, please enjoy our interview with Mike Dunlap. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Mike Dunlap, good morning your time and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you for having me on and being patient with me, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Patience is not a problem at all, Mike. I'm really excited to talk to you because you're in the thick of the NBA over there, but maybe something a little simple to get us going. Could you tell us where you are in the world and what you've been up to so far today? Well, film, we played the Golden State Warriors last night and we're fortunate enough to get them at home. They have not been playing well. They're 2-12 and on the road. So they're trying to figure that aspect out, but they're always lurking because of their content they have three hall of famers playing for him and thompson green and of course curry so all those guys will be inducted and so and they're definitely not over the hill so they've got they're on pace to try and win two more in my opinion before injury and age will take them away but on our side of the street we we are figuring out who we are this year. We've had some injuries and whatnot. Now those players are coming back into our, our team. And so we're just trying to work that out. But we're top three in the league right now, a team of or a, a league of 30. And I would say that we're in the top four and will be if uh, luck shines kindly on us on the injury deal. But we're very good. Our veterans know it. And it's a matter of positioning and taking care of precision and detail in order to to try and make an assault on a championship again. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you a little bit about that championship in this interview. But, Mike, I'd like to start by name-checking some pretty impressive coaches that you've either worked for or worked with or met and conversed with. There's George Carl. There's the Australian Brian Gorgian. I guess we can call him Australian, the great John Wooden, Pete Newell, and of course, the iconic Lindsay Gaze. And yes. I'm just wondering, Mike, from this experience, working with these people up close, 
What is it you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? Number one would be they're all competent. You can have a lot of flaws and, and people will sidestep that and players in particular will if they believe that you know your your stuff. You have the, a, a set of skills and information that will make them better and give you a chance at a championship. So that's number one. Two is their ability to uh, connect viscerally with a group and single players and players that are your best players, their ability to communicate a similar message is a two-way street. Empowerment, coaches understanding that players are what make coaches and, and coaches can nudge and create an environment that all those people have a vision of what it's like to walk in on a typical day that the coach is not creating synthetic obstacles, but yet challenges. There's a difference and a distinction. And those coaches make that distinction and that we're doing things for purpose. And then three is that I think all of those people are inspirational, whether they're coaches or they're communicating somebody at the grocery store, there's an it factor to them which words really uh, fall uh, well short of describing. And it's how a person walks into a room. It's body language. Uh, It can be their silence. It can be a nod. But they all have a particular presence about them. Mike, according to ESPN, you're known as a, and this is a quote, a teacher of the game amid his peers and colleagues in the NBA. And it caught my eye a little bit because I wanted to ask you, where does the role of teacher and coach not overlap? Well, I'm not sure that it does. That's a what I would call a golden dart throw by you of understanding that they're part and parcel to each other. The one distinction I would make is master teachers continue to learn and evolve and never think that they know enough. And so they're studying other great coaches. They're studying other great leaders, they're plucking from the best of the best to add to their arsenal, if you will, their craft. And you'll notice that older coaches get quieter. They're not verbose. They seem to move into a touch as opposed to a diatribe. You say older coaches get quieter. Why is that? Because wisdom and mastery has more to do with display And teaching through others or situations, and again, drawing on them, the medium of the message is visual, is the most powerful thing. Words are second place compared to acts. There's a book out, a wonderful book out called The Inner Game of Tennis. And if you took one page off The Inner Game of Tennis and threw the rest away, It was the instruction of having somebody at the baseline and showing a forehand. And instead of going through A, B, C and creating this kind of roughness from the pupil, he just started to stroke the ball and said, do that. And that is the gateway to being a master teacher. Very much so is using your medium with with less words and more visuals so that the pupil can have an aha moment. Oh, and it's kind of, I see, I do, I see, I do, and then add repetition as Lord and Master. Mike, I've heard you talk numerous times about the five laws of learning. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us how you apply them in your coaching? 
the simple thing is, is that any pupil in any classroom that walks in or gymnasium or paddock or pitch or what, what have you, they want to know, hey, what do you want me to do? And there was a very good book written by a guy named Novak that wrote The Joy of Sport. And it's a long encyclopedia kind of a book in a, the most wonderful way, story after story. But he talked about children going into a sandbox and no adult around. And within five minutes, the children create rules and a competition on their own. And they want boundaries. So when you go in and the first law is tell them what you want. Number two is show them what you want. Number three is have them show you what you told them. Number four is take the time to correct the demonstration so that it is what you want. And number five is, again, is Lord and Master being repetition. But repetition has to be fun. And that means time and score dash competition. And it could be against yourself. It could be against another. It could be against another four. And it's four versus four. So repetition can mean drudgery to the modern day athlete. And But you can create an interest with them if you put a clock on it and you put a score on it. And now the modern day athlete likes personal records. Okay, I did this today better than I did yesterday. So in basketball terms, you say, okay, we're going to shoot for 30 seconds from the free throw line. You got to follow it. You make it from the free throw line. You get two points. You follow it in. Whether it's a miss from the free throw or not, you get a putback. And you'd get one shot at following your shot and put it in. You got a point. And now you measure that in 30 seconds. Now they have a personal record. Now you're getting your repetition as an instructor. And in the 30 seconds, they come back 10 days later. And you say the best record of all time was 13 points in that 30 seconds. Well, if you got blood coursing through your veins, you're going to want to get 14. And so getting back to the five laws is number one is tell them what you want. Mike, I have this great quote from you, and you actually alluded to it a minute ago, but I'd like to read the quote to you before I ask the question. You say, the trail of successes is laden with touchstones of humility, sincerity, and being open to the fact that players make coaches. Coaches don't make players. And it intrigued me a little bit because I wondered if coaches don't make players, then how would you describe the role of the coach? The role of the coach would be very simple. And Bill Walsh said this in Finding the Winning Edge. A master teacher knows the outcome before she or he starts. The good teacher kind of knows the outcome. And so the distinction is when you start the journey is that by the end of the journey, the team, the player is running the process. The coach is no longer running the process. And you're fine with that freedom that you have a use-by date, if you will, and you're an orchestra leader. If you see that and you go to a symphony, you'll see that, that the orchestra leader has a job, but the orchestra plays the music and he or she will lead in certain sections of that orchestra so that it's a thing of beauty. But after a while, the audience is not focused it's like the orchestra leader becomes invisible. And that is the job of the coach and the leader is to move to your workers, move to your team. And you don't have to be overt about it. 
every day. But you know you've been successful when player is teaching players. There was a guy named Halperstam who was a Pulitzer Prize writer over here. He died several years ago in a car accident in Menlo, California. But nonetheless, is he took a year to study how Japanese business did it. And it was like, the I think it was called The Next Century or The 20th Century or whatnot, or 21st Century, the book was. And it was small. But one of the things he learned was, as part of their culture was, is that management had to go down on the assembly line on Fridays and work on the assembly line, eat lunch with the quote unquote base of the pyramid. And what they were doing was asking pregnant questions about how they could do it better and and make a TV better. And those workers were able to show and give information to the leader that made it more efficient. And so back to your question, I think it's really important that an instructor, a teacher understand that they're not the be all end all. They're not the show. And there's a grace and a humility to that understanding. Some teachers, they let their ego get in the way and they think they're everything. But as a parent, as a leader, your children are going to be your legacy. They're, they're everything in terms of other people evaluating if they're disciplined, if they have manners, if they're go-getters, et cetera, et cetera. And my point is, is that your workers, your players, and how they present themselves and compete is everything. Could I pick up on this idea of parenting, actually? And I, I have another quote from you where you, you talk about parenting and coaching and leading together. I'll, I'll read you the quote, and then I'd like to ask the question. You say, you have to break the chain of what you were taught in order to be a better parent, coach, or leader. Such an interesting idea. And I wanted to ask you, Mike, is there an example of a, a chain that you had to break in order to move yourself forward? Yeah, I mean, I was raised corporally. And uh, if you did well, then you didn't get, you know, a spanking. If you acted up, then you knew that the belt was coming. I've never done that with our children. All of our children have their own careers, one's in, in film. Another is a surf instructor and running his own business down in Costa Rica. And my daughter works for a company out of Brisbane, LSKD, which does athletic clothing. But my point is that doesn't mean that they're all that. But I think it's really important that, that as you're raised, you see what was myth. I think every parent carries a certain amount of myth from their parents. And some of it's really good. You know, the early bird gets the worm. So get your rear end out of bed early to start your day. But then there's other things that you could be really sick and say, stiff upper lip. And yet you've got some lesions on your leg or you go, okay, stiff upper lip and you don't get it checked by a doctor. Well, your parents gave you that and it's incumbent on you to go out in, in, in this journey and shatter some of the myth because not everything that our parents gave us was correct. And so at some point in time, again, I have to take responsibility for myself for going and seeking information. So I become better than at, at least the information that I have uh, at parenting. And so my wife and I did four years of classes and they weren't expensive. And one of them was in Australia. And everybody that's over there is going to know it if they look it up. I can't 
make it up. It's called Love and Logic. And we took two semesters of that class in Adelaide, Australia, which was a carryover of going to parenting class. And I've said this at coaching academies and lectures and all this other stuff my entire career. I've learned more from parenting class than I ever did from John Wood, Pete Newell, or, or whomever. It's not close on human behavior because human behavior starts out of the womb. And my point is, is that the parenting instructors have done, say, 900 of these classes, and they've studied human behavior. So if you have some dysfunction with a player and you see that he or she acts out in a way that is not congruent or fluid with your team and you're trying to figure it out, well, if you don't have an understanding of that it started in, say, when they were eight years old, nine years old, example given, there's a fairness issue that comes out in a child at about four years old from four to seven. That's not fair. That's not fair because that that's their tool for not doing what they wanted to do. Or, you know, they say, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And if the parent rushes in and now they start a juggling act, they're going to find out that that's short term. The boredom rests with the child. It doesn't rest with the parent. And it's a, na- it's a matter of the parent having skills to remand the child back to themselves. Okay, now somebody is you know, pleading at 27, that's not fair, that's not fair. And you hear that several times Well, your antenna must go up and you say, okay, maybe it started there. What are our solutions? So that you refer that back to the player that one, not everything's fair, but two is how are you going to handle that? And here's how we, in a cooperative way, can create two or three solutions and let them pick the one solution. And then the key is follow through. So there are all these skills in your toolbox that come from parenting that lead to good coaching. So if a coach has a rule or a leader has a rule and he says, okay, that uh, we will show up at the office at this time, well, you better figure out what happens when somebody doesn't show up on time, consequences for actions that make sense. And like I say, is sometimes when the belt was put to me, it made no sense whatsoever because that's the only answer my parents had. And, you know, that was their generation. There weren't 15 books out on parenting. There weren't classes in the 1950s on parenting. There weren't. And so as we evolve, it's incumbent on us, again, to go get information and keep learning through books, through other people, and empirically through our own mistakes and through our own successes. If you want to be a lifelong learner, then figure that you're the stupidest person in the room every day, because it's when we think we know what we know that we get ourselves in trouble. We, we suspect we know things, and that's a good way to be. But the ego can get to a place where you know, you're given trophies or ranks for championships and then you figure that, you know, you'll go on a speaking circuit and say, well, we do this and we do that. And whether it's, you know, the head coach of Arsenal or it's Eddie Jones or it's it's Brian Gorgian or it's John Wooden or it's Pete Newell, they have a, a book of information and they have these successes. But I'm never sitting in front of them thinking that they know it all. You know, I, I'm after certain information, but I'm never going to give way to Anthony Robbins or whomever that, that they're, they're the be all end all. There are too many people that are willing to drink Kool-Aid when they ha- find somebody who has a lot of money 
and say, hey, well, you know, they made a lot of money, so they must be right. You know, what what does somebody that makes a lot of money know about a dentist? What you know, <laughs> but yet we'll go to them and ask them about a great dentist and where's the best restaurant and where's this and where's that, and we'll kind of give way or cave in to somebody again because they have a lot of money in the bank. But I I think that like for example, when I was in Denver, Colorado, I tried to find the best teacher in that city. And it was for my money was a second grade teacher that was teaching my son. And she was Colorado teacher of the year, two years running. And I went in there and volunteered selfishly to do reading for once a week uh, in that classroom, because my wife told me that the IQ of the child is the father's on site in that, that classroom, even a little bit that it jumps dramatically, 30 to 40 points. And I, 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 w- I wanted all of that to be that kind of father. But also, selfishly, I wanted to watch this teacher operate. And man, oh, man, did she have skills. They came from the playground. And before they sat down, she had them grab the back of their chairs, breathe three times, lock in on a spot on the, on the wall. And she had all these beautiful colors and, and some of their writings and stuff like most of second grade classroom. And then she had them breathe and then move and sit down. But she understood the power of breathing, of taking that activity and allowing the child to slow their heart rate down so that she, when she was introducing whatever topic she was going to go into, that's transitional teaching where you're saying that people are dealing with transitions all the time. And so you have a business meeting, somebody's sitting across from you And you can just see by the power of observation that they're unsettled. And you say something in an open-ended question is, I I noticed the button on your left side there is not button. And I was wondering if today was a hell of a day for you. And now, you know, you probe a little bit with some questions on the human side before you get to maybe whatever your agenda was. And that's all coming from wanting to be an observer and writing notes from a second grade teacher, you know, and, and or when John Wooden is talking or Pete Newell, I always have a pad out. I've got one right next to me here because you may ask a question I don't have the answer to. And I'm going to tell you very quickly, hey, you know what? I haven't really thought of that. I write it down, but I'm going to get back to you because I understand that you're going to think I'm full of it if I don't follow through. That's the key to somebody who has trust and integrity And that is the follow through. It could be the simplest thing, but a lot of people say they're going to do something, but then they never do it. They don't follow through. And that's the key. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mike, could I follow up on this human behavior element, actually? Because of what, in preparation for today, I watched seminars where you were speaking, and you talk about the importance of conditioned responses to mistakes, routines, habits, steps that you move through, given your job in one of the most elite sporting environments in the world, I wanted to ask you, if you wanted to help a non-athlete get better at this, this idea of having a conditioned response to mistakes that might pop up during the day, where would you tell them to start? Well, the hardest thing to do is admit a mistake, myself included, you know, and so I think that vulnerability is endearing. And so the key is, is that let's say we're in, in fast action in basketball terms is that I think that if you see someone like Giannis point to himself on an errant pass, well, then it makes it a lot easier for Middleton, Holiday, and everybody else, even the coaching staff. That's a humbling act by a generational player. And so his mother taught him that, or his father did. And also teachers, coaches, and life taught him to point to himself to own the mistake. So that's number one. Number two is, is that if somebody's going to own a mistake and they not, don't know quite how to get themselves away from that mistake or correct it, then it's incumbent on the teacher to assist and here, let me show you and, and are what I call a correctable. And so correct it. And then number three is the key is walk away from it in a way where you're not going to have it be huge weight. Because I think a lot of times when after we've corrected the mistake, we feel like we're invincible and that can't happen. And the perfectionist suffers a fool's thought and fool's feeling. You know, that's why that word perfection is so dangerous. It's volatile. It's very, you know, and it, the myth of perfection is perfect practice makes perfect. No, perfect practice makes for a miserable son of a bitch. That's what it makes. And my point is, is that we may have a paradigm of perfection. Nothing wrong with going after that. But along the trail is, is that you have to take the instructor, the leader has to take moments of celebration for little acts that are advancing the chains. And what happens with the perfectionists is they run by the celebration and the joy because you know, they're, they're always chasing something that's unattainable, but okay, fine. That's one element of perfectionism, but the worst element of it is, is that there's no joy. You know, it's like, well, that wasn't good enough. And then the dad or the mom or the teacher or the leader is saying, well, we can do a little bit better. And if you look at some of those leaders, there's sad sacks at the end of the trail. You know, they have all this money. And Jobs being one of them, you know, brilliant guy, didn't play well in the sandbox with other people. At the end, on his deathbed, he had a whole host of things that he said was regrettable, that he wished he would have taken more time, you know, with people, with doing things that were joyful. So greatness has a price to it, you bet. But distinction being made is, as you watch leaders, are they taking time to celebrate? You know, a, a cup of coffee, a good conversation here. I mean, this may be the best part of my day with you, Paul, and I'm good with that. I mean, I want that. 
I don't need to have noon be any better than this right here. It, it just isn't. And if I know that, then it's a touchstone of a beautiful day. And I just think that it's really, really important that we, we, we stop and take time to understand the here and now. I mean, the Buddhist meditation, all of that stuff really is to get all the garbage out of our head at some point in time during that day and do a flush so that we can move to the next moment to be present. I mean, when you're meditating, you're really not present for anybody but yourself, but the world doesn't work that way. Once we leave that meditative state, we've got to go and interact with other people, you know, and, 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 and that's, a, that's a joy. That's a pleasure. I get to, I want to uh, operate with other people and mingle because I want to learn. I want to help. I want to be a servant. And there's the joy. And so I just think that, again, my parents were go-getters. They were achievers. They did a ton of things. But if you said I had to go back and I could unearth them, I would say to them, take a little bit more time for the things that you achieved because we want to see you as our children, your children, smile a little bit more, laugh a little bit more, you know, that kind of exchange. Because like I said, is that you can be miserably successful as opposed to wonderfully successful. Mike, words are important to you. You know, you're an English major. You've referenced several books in this conversation. I know you love to read, you journal, you write poetry. But could I ask you about a time that someone confronted you with words in the form of feedback that helped you evolve as a leader? Uh, Players, exit interviews, my wife, my children, you know, because they have a place in my heart. And when you invest in a player and yet you got it wrong and you're having an exit interview and you hurt a player, that's their opportunity to talk to you and, and maybe they're done with you. You know, they've graduated. And so they really don't have anything to lose. So they're freer to really kind of say, well, you're not very good or you hurt them. And I think that if you're open to that, as opposed to just, you know, answering, you know, why you hurt them and you're quiet, you'll learn and be better for the next player. You'll be better for your kids. You'll be better for your wife. But the hard part is to be quiet and just be vulnerable and give value to what they're saying, not only with lip service, but by slowly changing your own behavior. Is there a way that you process that feedback in order to make a change? Well, number one is age helps you. Number two is when you've made some egregious mistakes, if you're willing to, again, admit it, And then day by day, move to a different place. Your actions are are really putting it down where you're evolving because there's a self-satisfaction to not doing that again that that is tenfold of staying the same. You just want to be better and understanding that better means that you're, you're not as harsh or that you're more open and that even in this interview, I'm not as dogmatic or, you know, okay, I know more than, than that person or that person. These are all suggestions to maybe tantalize somebody to go read uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, you know, or 
or dive in. We use the word underdog and we love the beauty of underdog. Malcolm Gladwell had an entire book on the underdog. My point is that if, if I could do that, then that's beautiful, you know, but without somebody thinking, well, this guy thinks he knows it all. I mean, I, I think I've had interviews where I did that to people and I, you know, I apologize now for that, but I'm not that guy today. No way. Mike, I heard you talk recently about the need to balance horizontal and the vertical when it comes to leadership. It's a, it's an interesting idea given the very physical nature of the business you're in. Could you tell me a little bit more about this idea? Well, the big push over the last decade to say even 15 years is to be inclusive, as we alluded to, going down to the supply chain and interacting with your workers. That is all very powerful stuff. But at the same time, the leader has to move back to a position of clarity because I think you can do too much of the horizontal in a way where there's confusion and you're not sure or gridlock and you're not sure where to go. Because let's be very, very direct about this. If you're working with a team, there are certain decisions that employees don't want to make. You know, they, they want help from the leader and they want clear direction and directives at a time where there's consistency, where your employees or your players get in frustrated and, and, and those things that cause the leader to fall is when there's an inconsistency or a passive aggressive leadership being on site and players and also employees seeing you on site at a certain time every day is very comforting to them. And they know that if you're expecting an unbelievable presence and effort from them, then you need to have an unbelievable presence and effort in being consistent. And that's what I mean is that's, that's more horizontal or more vertical than it is horizontal. In other words, you know, you're in a position of being an example. And the same thing with parenting. You know, you wouldn't have a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old or 11-year-old have certain responsibilities in your home. It's beyond them, you know, paying the electric bill or, or doing this. That's my responsibility in order to provide safety, for example. So my point is that is vertical and horizontal is, is asking the child, do you feel safe here, here and here? And then creating that environment and I move to the vertical right there and I create that along with my wife, of course, and we create that safety. And I don't know if that makes sense. It's a combination. It's not just singular. Well, we're just going to be totally lateral in our organization because I don't think that works. I don't think it works. I know yeah. that you're a lifelong journaler. I think it was Pete Mule who introduced you to the idea. Here's my journal. Yep. Here's the latest just one. open it so people can see that oh, if I keep turning the pages, you know, it goes on and on because people say they journal and then the next thing you know, it's razzmatazz. But there mm -hmm. it is. It's my little notebook. It goes in a Tupperware bin and then I can get it later. Here's my nice 2023. And then here's my log from my working journal. And everybody has this, but there's three right there. And 
uh, it works for me. I, I got away from the Franklin Planner. I took certain concepts from the Franklin Planner that worked for me, but it was too stodgy. I didn't like some of it. So I broke into my own way of doing what, and I work off of a template called Savers, which I got from a, a book uh, years ago. It's an anacronym. But anyway, that's another story. Yeah. And, and this morning, I've already engaged my anacronym. And, and I've, I've read. Uh, I went down to the weight room and did that aspect. I visualized. I prayed. I meditated. So these are things that are done in the course of 60 minutes before I head off to work. So I just do it and it's become a habit. So There must yeah. be quite a few of those plastic bins filled with uh, notebooks kicking around the garage somewhere. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're dead weight. <laughs> well, if we could, if I could challenge you to think about the word resilience. And we were just talking about children and we're talking about growth and we're talking about learning and we're talking about moving forward and coping with mistakes. And the word that comes to my mind is resilience. If I could distill a couple of sentences on that topic from all of those notebooks, what would it be? Well, the the most important thing is you get back up. If we're going to put ourselves out there and try and achieve greatness or be elite or be very, very good at what we do, and it doesn't mean that you have to aspire to be on a mountain somewhere and be on Mount Rushmore, it means that, hey, you want to be a great teacher. You want to be a great stevedore. You want to be a, a, a great swim coach. It's a whole host of things. But resiliency, I don't care what you're trying for, you're going to get knocked down. And it's your get up that's going to determine the next day, the next moment. And so do you have get up or are you always going to be as a landmark Talking about yesterday, you know, there are some people as they evolve and they go down the railroad track of age and you can pick it in a restaurant, you can pick it in the workforce, you can pick it anywhere you want. And they'll hearken back to a crossroads decision or life just kicked them in the teeth. And the next thing you know, they're always back there talking about it. And resiliency, the B part is today and tomorrow. You use yesterday as a platform of good, bad, but you got to get your backpack and throw it on and get going to today and tomorrow. And when you're at dinner or when you're at a breakfast with somebody or whatever, I think that it's really interesting to talk about today and tomorrow. But over time, it becomes very repetitive and bitterness creeps in and a lot of things when you're constantly talking about yesterday. And then third on resiliency that's very powerful is regeneration is about keeping youth in your life. And we have been blessed as coaches to have 18 to 22 year olds because I was a college coach forever. But that was all I knew was 18 to 22 year olds. So they would go on to, you know, get their degrees and have children and have, you know, all the other things and celebrations. But yet there are another group that are going to have weddings and have kids and pick a career and you're educating. So, but keeping young people in your life, because what happens is you get older is people die and you go down the road with your graduating class but what are you doing strategically to move to the youth because they're on the cutting edge of what's new, what's going on or whatever? It doesn't mean you have to subscribe to it, 
but I, it's remarkable the people that I run into and they'll say, Jesus, you know, what have you been drinking? What have you, you know, what are you eating? What are you doing? And when you're around 18 to 22 year olds, I feel more compelled to exercise than I do when I'm with a bunch of 65 year olds. It, it, uh, that's not a criticism. It's just a, it's a resounding fact. But, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, there's a pair of sweats or there's a top that kind of goes and you update your clothes even more a little bit. It, it, you know, or you're able to talk about texting or you're able to know about Instagram or social media. You know, we, we, you know, I know that there's this thing going on about social media being the enemy and, and the decline of, of civilization as we know it. But let's say you don't take that particular perspective and you teach the young how to put a leash on their phone and no phone zones and hey, how it's rude and put the phone away to get them to lift their eyes up and have a conversation. Well, it can happen. It happens all the time, but they need that kind of instruction or help in that. Well, I need their help to show me how to negotiate and move around a phone with certain tricks they have that I would never have had as a 65-year-old. So I think it's a win-win. But again, resiliency and what you talked about, I think it's really, really important that that third element of being resilient, have a strategy about where you want to head and where you want to go. Because I think even though that may, the people scratch their head and say, how's that resilient? I think if you don't have a plan as you age, you're in deep trouble. David Brooks, his book out called The Second Mountain. Anybody that's aging should read that book because it talks about only transitions. You know, there's the content of each chapter, but really the book's about how to gracefully transition as you get older. And I think it's marvelous. It's a wonderful book. Well, being resilient is transitioning from one decade to the next and knowing that age is not something that we should regret or fear or whatever. But I see some people that can't be resilient towards the clock. And that's devastating when somebody's constantly going to the doctor to have surgery because they want to, you know, that's not a judgment here. But if that's the be all end all, and it's their 30th surgery, well, there's a problem. There's definitely a problem with wanting to get older. And you know what? The bottom line is, and this may sound preachy, but we were given a chair for a certain amount of time on this earth. Why are we always trying to hold on to the chair when at some point in time, we're going to have to hand the chair to somebody else? And so my point is, I think aging is liberating. It liberates you to be more open. It liberates you to try different food. It liberates you to listen to different music. If you approach it that way, as opposed to, oh, you know, constantly complaining about what the youth is bringing to our culture. How about just saying, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. You know, and starting with that as a strategy, that's being resilient to what's inevitable. We're all going to die. Well, let's celebrate it. I mean, I'm celebrating it today by being on this interview. I'm, I'm a happy camper being 65. Happy boy, you know, and, and, and I'm not worried about being 70. You know, whatever. If I'm get lucky on it, great. If I don't, great. You know, but I am not going to sit around today and bitch about, you know, that my left knee bothers me or whatever. I mean, that's a drag for everybody. And you know what the biggest drag? Self-talk. That's a drag for me. 
I mean, you know, it's like, hey, dude, if you want to be resilient, you know, get out there and have a hot go today. And that's what's going to happen. Mike, just such a great answer. You have such great energy. And I'd, I'd like to just ask you one final question. And you talked about being on the chair for a while and then handing the chair over to someone else. Well, you've been on that chair and you've, you've coached at all different levels of the game, all the way up to the top. You've coached in Australia and all around the world in other places too. But with these people you've come in contact with and these teams you've had access with, what would you like your legacy to those, for those people to be? <laughs> uh, did you just speak French to me? You used the word oh. legacy. No, I'm, my, my point is that um, I hope I never think about legacy. I, I want to be a great husband and a great dad. And, 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 and then somebody out there would say, he helped me. That's it. I mean, you know, he was really good at breakfast. We had some great laughs. I, you know, that other stuff that's outside the orb of whatever, I hope it evaporates. I could, you know, I, I, I'd rather spend my energy on today and tomorrow and, and, and my wife, a great hug. You know, uh, music breaks out. We, we have a dance per day. We, we, we just do this thing. It's our thing. I mean, and people are like going, God, man, that's like your simple Simon. I want to be the simplest guy on earth, you know, and, and just have time for somebody that if somebody walked by and they were walking their dog and they sat down, and they started to cry that I wasn't so busy that I couldn't take if even if I had an appointment, I call ahead, show some manners towards Coach Bud and say, give me five. I'll be there and have the heart to be able to be empathetic enough to listen to whatever was, you know, ailing them or came their way that was really tragic. I hope I'm that guy. You know, the rest of that stuff, you know, I have a ring behind me as world championship. I have two national championship rings. Take them. You know, the doors open. You can have them. You know, it's nice and I like it and and whatever, but it doesn't validate me. I, you know, I, I, you know, that stuff was yesterday's news. It's not today's news. My point is, it doesn't make me better than that second grade teacher. That second grade teacher that, that taught my son in the second grade, she was absolutely unequivocally a legacy woman. I'm not, I, I can't get there. I mean, I know it. And so when I keep her in mind, I, I, this thing on legacy is not my deal. Not my deal. Well, I'm happy with the answer if he helped me, if that's any consolation. But yeah. Mike, it's been great to spend an hour with you. It's You've got such energy and such focus and such breadth of knowledge. It's just, just wonderful to spend a little bit of time talking to you about well, what I'm sure is a very I, deep iceberg. I, I would just say this, that in the minute that I have left here in conclusion, I did some research on you and your journey and where you're at today and pulling the pen and heading, heading back to Australia, right? Yeah. I think it's, I think there was a plan there. I think it's marvelous, your position. Where you sit, you, you help a lot of people and have helped a lot of people and helped your company and all this other stuff. But I'm humbled to be here today because you're an aw shucks human dynamo. And I, I, I love that of, uh, about you, best guess, you bet. I'm not going to bloviate in a way that doesn't have substance. But I tell you what that as somebody that will visit Australia again, 
I pray and hope to God that we're able to have a cuppa, you know, because that would be a joy to me that would make the trip to Australia worthwhile. And that's the honor, grace, and sincerity and humility that I have at this moment to be before you on this this show. And I want to thank you for that. Mike, I, I feel like I'm, I'm one day away from my last day at work here. And uh, I've got to admit, a little bit more emotion was not what I was hoping for. But I appreciate your time today. It's It's been wonderful getting to know you. And I will you definitely bet. look forward to that cup of tea. And may, may have I have a say, slice of cake as well. May I say hello to everybody at Adelaide. And I was the coach of the 36ers for three years. And I learned a ton And I want to thank that city. My daughter was born there. And when she turned 18, we brought her back to Adelaide and quietly stayed a week and showed her around and took her back to, you know, she was just born, but showed her how, you know, my wife and I, places where we ate, we we, we just had the best, best time. But I want to thank in particular uh, management, everybody, the media, everybody. Uh, the coaches, Don Chipway in particular, uh, amazing man, because they hosted us for three years. And we had the best time in, a, in the culture of Australia. We could not have had it better, and they gifted us with a daughter. So thank you, Australia. Thank you, Adelaide. You're welcome back anytime, Mike. Thanks for All a right, great interview. Thank you, you. You take care. Hi, everyone. You have been listening to the great coach, Mike Dunlap. I hope you got a lot out of Mike's positive energetic style and found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room or boardroom table for discussion. When I listened back to the interview, some of the other key highlights for me were the importance of resilience in helping you to be great at whatever it is you want to focus on and how he describes resilience simply as the ability to get up and keep going. How he uses the five laws of learning to coach and he describes them as tell them what you want, show them what you want have them show you what you told them, correct if necessary, and then practice through repetition. And how the concept of legacy is a foreign one to him, and instead how he replaces it with the ability to be empathetic and to listen to whoever needs him. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Ben Cross, who after listening to our Ricky Stewart episode said, a wonderful, insightful listen. Thanks, Ben. We love the interaction with the people around the world who listen. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please let us know. And if they're positive ones, then please let your friends know too. All the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 